Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brandon Kelly. Brandon, what's going on, Bob? How are you? I'm pretty good, man. Although it's a sad day, um, as we talked about in the pre-production meeting for mm-hmm. this uh, this episode. Pre-pro. Yesterday was my birthday, and um, so therefore today is the saddest day of the year. Sure is. Because it's the last, um, it's the longest time before everybody pretends to care about you again. Um, because on your birthday, as you know, you get like to kind of eat whatever you want. In my house, people go, oh, you don't have to do the dishes. And I go, oh, shit. Really? I know, it's your day. <laughs> you know? Whereas most days, it's like, hey, did you do the dishes? I'm like, I didn't even eat anything. I didn't know there were dishes. <laughs> and, you know. but um, I'm fasting for my birthday meal. The No, no, that's not on my birthday. On my birthday... Hot chicken from Parsons. Mm. Chicken and fish. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was great. Um, but uh, the key, I think, to giving anybody a good birthday is you have to let them sleep in the next day. Mm. You know? Um, that That I is like the that. full... Yeah. It is the full run of... It, it's kind of like the the Seinfeld, like, how do you fuck someone and then have it not get weird? And the rule number one is no calls the next day. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, it, it, I mean, like dealing dealing with the morning, it sucks every single day of the year. But the day after your birthday, it's like oh, back in the grind. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Stay out of the grind for and at least for the a.m. period. Uh-uh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd love to wish you uh, a happy birthday on air and maybe like a happy birthday, like, you know, consolation since you're feeling all sad today because no one's wishing you happy birthday anymore except the people who really don't care about you. But I care about you so much that I wish you a happy birthday uh, last night on Twitter uh, at Better Yet Pond. Uh, I'm sure that you noticed that. And um, I, I did. I appreciate it more than you know. You could show that appreciation. Um, it's cool that you don't. I get it. But um, anyway, it was it was a great birthday that you had yesterday. Great day for me too uh, on Twitter at Better Yet Pod. Um, but hey, how how was your weekend? Because I I myself have um, had a similar experience to you losing things in the Delaware River not a fun thing to have happen to you. Yeah, um, I was canoeing, and I was with my friend Michael and our two sons mm. in the canoe. And uh, we were out in the Poconos where Michael lives. And so, foolishly, I um, believed he knew what he was doing in general. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, you sit in the front of the canoe, boys. You sit in the middle, and I'm going to push the canoe in, and then I'm going to jump in. And I was like, that seems kind of stupid. Uh, why don't we just, like, all sit in here and have, like, one of these dudes that, like, works for the canoe company push us in. Or we'll just use our oars and, like, push out. Because we're already, like, you know, what, five-eighths of the way into the water at this point. Uh-huh. And he was like, no, no, I got this. It's fine. And I did not ask him, um, have you ever attempted something like this before 
Um, it, do you know what you're doing? And uh, probably what makes you think you can get into a top-heavy vessel, uh, just step into it while waist-deep in water? Um, because the answers would have been like, no, no, and hubris. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because he tried to step in, and turns out you really can't do that. Um, and so he flipped me. My phone went into the water. When it came out, it was still on because uh-huh. it's uh, one of the water-resistant ones. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, good. I'll just turn it off. That's fine. But our canoe was really, like, top-heavy, and there's a very narrow canoe, and mm-hmm. they got two little dudes squirming around in there. And, mm-hmm. and so in one of the other canoes this guy Anthony was in, he's like, I got a dry bag. And so we, like, paddled up to him. I gave him my phone. I was like, can you put this in the dry bag? Well, anyway, Anthony's canoe ends up capsizing. <laughs> and he didn't zip the fucking dry bag. So it, it turned into, like, sort of an aquarium for my phone. Uh-huh. Uh, so instead of it being in the water for, like, four seconds, protected somewhat by my pocket, it ended up just sitting in the water. And I was just fucking furious. But, uh... It's all back. I'm back. I'm back in the action, guys. I, I went to the AT&T store. Um, and, you know, the rest is history. I do appreciate the Twitter DM that you sent me. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> very, very nice way to uh, to let me know what's going on. And, uh, yeah, you, you just, like, bring up old, old uh, source, which is fine, because I left the Twitter thing behind uh, a few episodes ago. I know a lot of folks at home really appreciate that um but yeah now we're talking about uh twitter again and it's your fault so happy birthday brandon i I, you know i just missed it so much for those three days i had no phone um you know it's really it's really where i thrive twitter truly well uh we are excited to have all of you joining us this week after our what we do four parts on oh calcutta my word yep and it was a it was a wild ride man um we laughed we cried it became a part of us it was better than cats um the movie or the the theater production (laughs) the entire there's this old saturday night live uh skit Uh about this like uh, hypnotist on Broadway. Have you seen it? I don't think so. And it was like it was like during the eighties when like Cats was like the number one Broadway show like every single day, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like the biggest Broadway show in the world, like kind of like what Hamilton is now, but mm-hmm. way stupider, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, and and it, it was great because it was like, you know. The reviews are in for, you know, like, Hypnosa or whatever the fuck his name was. I don't remember. And they're like, they say, people are saying, I loved it. It was better than Cats. I'm going to see it again and again. And then it would be like, but don't take our word for it. Here's some people who just got out of Hypnosa's show. And they're like, I loved it. It was better than Cats. I'm going to see it again and again. So... You know, obviously, he just hypnotized everybody into thinking the show was great, which is a pretty funny bit, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I saw that when I was, like, six, and it just really stuck with me as something that you say when, like, something's 
not really that good, but you're being prompted to say it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than cats. Uh, I remember we had like an optional field trip in my elementary school growing up. Uh, some folks uh, aren't aware. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, but, yeah, we had the option to like go see cats as a field trip, but it wasn't like something that we all did. And I remember my friend Gary talking about how uh, about that uh, that optional field trip, and he's like, "I don't want to go see cats. They come out in the audience and they rub on you." <laughs> that is always oh. stuck with me. I don't know why. I just think that is the fucking funniest way to describe something. Well, it's just like, could anything about it not be disturbing, please? I mean, like, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, it, like, the, from the movie, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose that if we're going to, like, really dissect cats, which we're not going to, but the first place you go is it was written by T.S. Eliot, who wrote, like, The Wasteland and mm-hmm. shit, you know? So it's like, it, it's kind of got that Violet Femmes thing that we talk about, where it's like, I'm just trying to be normal, but I'm too fucked up, so, <laughs> you know, this is my thing about cats, <laughs> you know? And... uh yeah, it really shows. That's funny because there's so many rats in the wasteland. So maybe it's like a spiritual uh, follow-up, kind of like how chasing Amy and like clerks and mall rats are all part of the same like universe. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, T.S. Mm-hmm. Eliot's no Kevin Smith, in my opinion. Well, I think they're both great at what they do. Um, Wear very big I think shorts. They both have got some serious <laughs> missteps. Uh, <laughs> cats being one of them. You know, um, pretty much everything after 1997 for the other. Yeah, but I, if I'm being honest, you know, I appreciate like clerks more than I appreciate the wasteland. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's not to say it's better, but to me, it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, this is this is a fundamental um theory I hold and that comes out in a lot of my music, right? Um, that just because something is new and like seemingly lowbrow does not mean it cannot compete with other forms of art that maybe some like fart sniffing old men in like uh, universities on the East Coast have deemed to be the only things that are worth consuming. So, uh, so yeah, there you go. Hell yeah. Well, uh, Thank all, thank all of you for joining this week and uh, reminding you to subscribe on your podcast player of choice and to tell you that we have a Patreon. This is a, this is a podcast with a Patreon. That Patreon is patreon.com slash better sandwich where we just, we freaking hang out. We hang out big time. If you like we listening do. to us, hang out. There it is. So we got some friends that join us. Uh, my friend Dan Andriano, who um, is also somebody we're going to be talking about today. Uh, yep. My other friend Dave Haas. Who is one of the people that we have crucially forgot to mention almost every time we've done this. And he had one of the best He had one of the best episodes. And so far, I mean, Dave is a... Uh, He's just a, he's a great guy. He's like super gregarious and he's super smart. He's really fast. Um, and he's got funny things to say and he says them in a really funny way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, um, I was thinking about that while I was prepping for this. I was like, Oh, Dave is the person that I was 
the other day when I was like, I know there's someone I'm missing and it's a big one. Fuck, it was Dave. So Dave, if you're listening, which I know you're not, um, I'm very sorry. Um, you're the best. We got some other. Which will, that will that will come up again and again. <laughs> we got some other folks over there. This week I will be dropping uh, an episode about the bonus tracks from Ocalcutta. Uh, that's patreoncom slash sandwich. We invite you all to go over there and join us. And this week we are here to talk about "Gather Up the Chaps," the second Falcon LP, and the first. In 10 years after Unicornography. Yeah, totally. And I think it's funny to think about because the Falcon, when we were conceptualized um, just before the release of our first EP, um, God Don't Make No Trash or Up Your Ass with Broken Glass, um, it was put together as a thing where, you know, We'll tell the story at some point when we get to that episode um, or that record or whatever you want to say. But, uh, you know, it started out as me and Todd, me wanting to be in a band with Todd, mm-hmm. Neil being standing right there and being like, I'll play the drums. And we were like, no fucking. Yeah. Oh, that, uh, yes, please. <laughs> the best drummer in the world. Yeah, we'll take you. You know, and then uh, and then we then we were on a European tour and then we met up with the Alkaline Trio in Berlin and Danny was like. Wait, you're in a band with Todd from Rise Against and Neil? I want to be in this fucking band. And it's called The Falcon? I want to be in the band, right? And so when we put out that EP, which uh, was just like the scrappiest fucking thing I've ever Mm -hmm. done, uh, probably any of us have ever done, um, people were like, oh, it's a super group, which kind of made sense because it was Rise Against, Lawrence Arms, Alkaline Trio, Mm -hmm. right? But by the time we put out Unicornography... It was just me and Danny and Neil. Mm-hmm. And, but that was what really put the Falcon on the map. And people started talking about us as the super group. And I was thinking about this earlier today. That's pretty inaccurate. I mean, it's like me and Danny had been in a band before mm-hmm. together. And me and Neil were, were in a band concurrently. So it's just really a band. Yeah. You know? But with the addition of Dave Hawes for Gather Up the Chaps, then it becomes a bit more of a super group. I mean, I mean, especially 10 years later after all the bands we were in became a lot more um, in the sort of public consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that this is the first proper Falcon record that we're like the super group kind of thing really applies. Totally. But, but I mean, like, we also went on tour and stuff and like, we behave as a pretty regular band. So. Mm-hmm. That's such a, like, I don't know where that term originates. Maybe with, like, I mean, Jefferson's Starship? Or, like, I guess the Traveling Wilburys is probably, like, the one that doesn't completely suck uh, in terms of, like, supergroups. But it is a weird, like, thing that there's no... There's no distinction between just, like, a band and a supergroup. It's like, if this band has people from other bands, we just call it a supergroup. No in-between. Totally. No, totally. And it's like, you know, you take a band, like... I don't know. Is like... 
is Propagandia Supergroup. Mm. They've got like the best guitar player, the best bass player, the best drummer. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, the, but but I mean, they're they're a super group. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I mean, you got you got Lawrence Arms. It's got Chris from Tricky Dick and Neil That's from right. Baxter and Brendan from Slapstick. And I mean, and Brendan and Chris were in the Broadways, which in a lot of ways was a super group of itself. Really, is there a group that is not super? Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, quite. <laughs> quite <Yeah>. unsuper. <laughs> so, I mean, 10 years um, and gather up the chaps. Bit of a, a double entendre, if you will, for, I guess, like the mode of uh, this particular record of just kind of like getting the band back together and also there is a whole lot of uh, kinky shit going on here so we've got chaps as in friends and maybe assless chaps as in the chaps that don't have an ass yeah um i think when we started talking about doing the record you know um toby jag who is the premier at red scare industries um the best record label punk rec- punk record label in america uh by far um was i was talking to him about you know doing this and like wanting to go on tour and stuff and he goes dude if you can gather up the chaps i'll fucking tour manage that shit and book it and i was like hold on. did you say gather up the chaps i'm like <laughs> Okay, that's over. Like, that's the name of the record for sure. <laughs> so, um, and you know, all of a sudden that, like, brought, it just brought such a rich, um, like, it was so evocative to mm. me, that, that mm-hmm. phrase, that all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, we can do the classic Minor Threat cover that ranted um, you yep. know, revisited on Outcome the Wolves, but we'll do it with a leather daddy. And it will just like, the iconography of it will, you know, immediately make this seem like an important album. And I mean, like, you know, like, you got to do something kind of bombastic to come back after 10 years for a band that, like, I mean, how important was the first Falcon record? People people liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's no telling what's going to happen after 10 years. You know? Totally. And I think that there's kind of a legacy with the Falcon of that EP and that LP coming out at around the same time. Um, and I think it's impossible to not kind of, like, hold that kind of together with, oh, Calcutta. Um, like, to me, that's all part sure. of, like, you know, the same period of... of time and like i felt like oh calcutta also spoke to the lawrence arms being what they were which was at the very top of their game sundowner does the same exact thing um bringing it back after 10 years it's definitely going to be a little bit different right it's uh it's kind of a risky proposition but the cool thing is that nobody cares in the band so it's just like you know and the way and the way it 
I mean, the way the band works is pretty much I write the songs and then give them to the best musicians I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it works a lot like any other project I do. And, and in that regard, I don't think it seems like some sort of like tossed off supergroup where it's a bunch of like clashing ids and ideas. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is my like sort of rough, hardcore-ish, perverse band. And then these are the guys that are like, yo, fuck mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, with with this album, obviously, you know, like Dan wrote a song and Dave wrote a song. And so um, it became a much more collaborative thing. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like when we were in the studio and stuff, um, very much in a very different way than when the Lawrence Arms are in the studio. It was like sort of like my word was the last mm-hmm. word on stuff a little bit mm-hmm. more, you know, like if Dave was like, is this working? And I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, do something more, maybe more like yeah. this. And I mean, to his, you know, to his credit, it was like, if I had like some kind of dumb idea, he'd be like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. Cause that sucks. But how about this? And then it would be like 10 times better than what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And you know, so, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that it was like not very collaborative because it, it absolutely was. But, like, it, everybody was just like, I don't know. I, I like I, I don't want to sound like I was being dictatorial because I'm not. And it's like I can't, I can't do anything that those guys do. But it was just less of a process where like, with with Chris, if he's playing a guitar part in my song, I'm like, that's the guitar mm-hmm. part of the song. You know, with those guys, they were like, does this work for you? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You, and I, I feel like there is no. I feel like we're we're very easily like uh, we take information like that and maybe go down a, a path for like how that goes, which is basically some guy's an asshole and everybody else is like at his beck and call. But I mean, the what you're describing, I think, is very like you know, it's very true to the form and like how the project, even with the inclusion of you know these three others that's how it's kind of always presented is like brendan's brendan's basically doing a writing exercise yeah yeah and and like you know and and also i mean in fairness to um to those dudes it's like they've all got other things they care about a lot more so it's not like they've got like a ton of skin in the game with Mm -hmm. this so they're like when they're telling me like is this okay it's less like it's just like, okay, you're the dictator. It's more like, yeah, I really didn't think this through that much. Is this okay? <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> like I'm kind of doing you the favor right. here. So, you know, <laughs> am I doing you the favor you want mm-hmm. me to do? Because I've already flown all the way to Chicago. Yeah. With you. <laughs> so. so let me ask you then, because obviously the we, we have some changes from the way this thing starts to what it becomes, but... Um, I feel like Neil is Neil is going to be the drummer of your project, kind of regardless. Um, but Dan Dan's inclusion in this um, was that it feels like if Dan wasn't there, it would be a lot different than Todd not being there. No. Yeah, well, I mean Dan played on the first mm-hmm. full length and he has he has a very significant role i mean not only as an amazing bass player but also as a very prominent backing vocalist mm-hmm. 
you know, and like a song arranger and like, you know, like his input is invaluable. And he, I mean, he's just a huge presence. I mean, he's a fucking rock yeah. star, you know? And so it's like to have him on the album, it's like, it's a big deal. And Todd was at the time just this kick ass guitarist in this band that was like on the mm-hmm. rise, no pun intended, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, nobody was sitting there going, Oh yeah. Todd Money and his signature style. I mean, besides us, uh-huh. you know, but like people were like, Oh, that's the dude from rise against. That's interesting. I want to check mm-hmm. this out. So with the inclusion of Dan in the Falcon is, is definitely crucial just because, I mean, he brings so much of his like cachet and swagger. And I mean, I hate to use the term star power because it sounds uh, self-serving to me and it sounds dismissive of him, but I just mean that in the most pure form. Like he does have star power Mm -hmm. and it's because of the way he carries himself, the way he has, the way his vocals go, the way his bass lines are constructed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, he's a very integral part of the organization as it were. Um, but yeah. Um, so Dave, um, cause I think that one of the more exciting things about this record is that Dave really shines as a lead guitarist and he's all over this record. What does that look? He fucking shreds. Yes. It's crazy. I mean, if there is I mean, th- I think that's one of the best things about this album Me too, is that yeah. it showed the world that Dave Haas is, like, one of the best guitar players out there, like, in rock and roll. He's a monster. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you know, he's... Um, Dave got sober, I think, five years ago. And before that, he was a great guitarist and a great musician. Mm-hmm. But he got sober, and he... And I'm paraphrasing this wildly, and... I hope Dave's not sitting out there listening. We already established. Going, no. Him, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't know. We're talking yeah, about him. Yeah, he yeah, loves yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, for one thing, he was like, um, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm taking my life seriously. Mm-hmm. And I'm serious about music. Mm-hmm. And if I can spend as much time as I used to spend getting fucked up working on music, mm-hmm then that's, you know, then I'm, I'm, that's, that's what I'm switching my addiction out mm-hmm. for, essentially, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and it, and it's like, I don't know if he was a master shredder five years ago, uh, or whatever. But what I do know is by the time he, the Falcon record came out, which was less than five mm-hmm. years ago, he was, um, totally. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I mean, and I, I've like, I mean, he sits there. He's very, very dedicated to his craft. I mean, whether it's songwriting, like, I mean, he was writing the songs for that Dave Oz and the Mermaid album, like, while we were on tour. He was just, like, sitting in the back of the van, like, you know, when he wasn't hosting Center Bench <laughs> or laughing at Cockpit, um, which, if you don't know what that is, you got to go on our Patreon to find out. Um, but, I mean, he'd be backstage playing the guitar. He's just always on stage, just like noodling. I mean, he, he's, that's, 
what he's about, man. And he and he does shred on this record. He really mm-hmm. brings it. Yeah, that was one of the things that was so surprising listening to it. Just, you know, based off of his solo records, based off of the loved ones. Didn't see shit like that coming, but right from the jump, he is just shredding. And I think that like this project has such a bombast to it to where he's doing things that in a normal punk uh, circumstance, you'd be like, what? No, no, don't do that. Like, that's like guitar center cheese. Like, don't do that shit. But he's really going for it here. Your dryer's ready. Thanks. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. I just love it. I live in an actual home with with things that go on here. Um, Yeah, but uh, but um, yeah, you know, there's there's a Jason Flax who was the trumpet player in Slapstick, like sort of intermittently. Whenever we could get him, he was a music teacher, so he couldn't go with us very Mm -hmm. often. But like he he had kind of a standing opportunity to always play trumpet Mm in Slapstick. and uh and he's he was in colossal as well um and uh he once said about Robbie Kellenberger who's the drummer of slapstick who's the drummer of colossal um the drummer of tuesday and um who has played drums i he might have played drums at the first falcon show he did I, yeah he did um, but what Jason said about Robbie, Robbie is, he's on our Patreon as well. Mm-hmm. One of the funniest, smartest, most awesome dudes in the world. Um, and he said about Robbie, he's like, the thing about Robbie is you'll be in a room with a bunch of people and Robbie will just say something that if anybody else said it, they would just get punched in the face. But the way Robbie says it somehow and because it's him, it just breaks the whole room apart and makes everybody love mm-hmm. him more. You know, it's like, it's it's crazy. And that's kind of how I feel about Dave's playing on this in the regard that you're talking about. It's like, Dave's just got so much style that he's like, yeah, this will be some fucking wacky shit or whatever, but it's going to work. I'm going to, like, I, I got this. It's like endemic mm-hmm. in me to come up with the most wild ass thing I can and it's going to it's gonna hit mm-hmm. you know and it, it, and he, he he fucking nails it so in the studio is he um just kind of like throwing things down as he's hearing them or did he come in with like everything like really well mapped out and he came in with everything really, really, really well. Yeah, he's mapped a good out. sober and there person. Was, <laughs> yeah, and there was a couple of things that he did. I can think of two off the top of my head where I was like, "I don't think that's the vibe." And he'd be like, "Okay, okay." And it was like something he'd obviously been working on, like really hard. And he's like, "Okay, well, tell me what you, you you're mm-hmm. thinking." And then I would tell him and. Again, he would be like, I'm not doing your dumb idea, but I, I, I could do something that sounds like mm-hmm. that, but it's cool, actually. And then he'd be like, oh, yes, I see what you're going for here. This was different than I heard on the acoustic yeah. demos, but I, I get it, you know, because we never rehearsed when we recorded the record. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, like, it was just a matter of, like, 
he he had a lot of uh and i mean like i don't i don't want to overstate like my involvement in what he did because like 99% of what he did is exactly as it appears on the record what he brought in um but every once in a while he would do something that i just thought was a little too like clean mm-hmm. or like sounded a little too polished and i was like i just kind of want it to be dirtier sounding i want it to be a little bit more yeah. grimy you know, I mean, that was like kind of where my direction would usually go. It was never like too didactic or totally. Whatever. So, um, how does Dave join this entourage? I believe I could be wrong about this. I believe that Dan hit me up and was like, yeah, we should do a Falcon record. And I was like, okay. And then I think I tweeted something like, Hey, any of you in like cool bands that play guitar that want to be in the Falcon? Uh, you know, no, no, no dorks or something like that. You know, no dorks, no cops. Um, <laughs> and then Dave texted me right away. He's like, are you serious about this Falcon mm-hmm. shit? And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I really didn't expect anyone to reply to this, much less you. <laughs> yes, of course, I'm serious about this. Uh, so it was like, and I think he was the first person that even hit mm-hmm. me up. But it was like, you know, you don't fucking stay at the plate after you hit a home run and look for a right. second pitch, you know. So, so I just was like, so I, 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 my memory, as we've discovered on this, is very fallible. But I'm. Fairly sure that's how it went down. Um, yeah, you told me it's sim- uh, yeah, pretty much that on Better Yet. I kind of just wanted to to get you to repeat it because I think that that is a very cute thing. That, but you didn't tell me that it was Dan saying we should do a Falcon record. So that comes out of the blue. Well, again, I could be wrong about mm-hmm. that, but. I just, if I think about it, I'm playing sort of like zone memory here. I can't imagine me not having a band together and hitting up Dan and being like, hey, I'd like to do another Falcon record. Are you Mm -hmm. in? You know, um, it doesn't make sense. Like in the way that I, that I, that I, like we all operate. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I guess that could very much have mm-hmm. happened, but but uh, I seem to recall that maybe Dan had some time off and was like, "Hey, let's do something," mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know. I'm getting dangerously close to just like straight up making up the past <laughs> at this point. I don't. I don't really remember, but that just makes the most sense to me in terms of how it went down. Well, I but, guess what I, what I was leading with that question is that we have this fallow period relatively um, to, you know, the era where unicornography and God don't make trash come from. Um, Obviously a lot changed in your, in your personal life. Um, And that was chronicled uh, by bad sandwich chronicles. Um, but when you're getting back into 
I mean, I think, what is it? Does it go Wandering Birds, Metropole, and then this record all come within a few years of each other? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Wandering Birds, Metropole, mm-hmm. then this record. So, during that time in between, how much were you writing as far as songs go? And I guess, like, how... Um, you know, were you were you at a point where you were having to kind of like get things back into motion for your own writing process, or were you pretty consistently doing page a day? The the writing process never stops. I mean, it stops once the record comes mm-hmm. out. I take a few months off, and then it just starts again. And it basically is a wheel where it goes. Wandering Birds, Lauren's Arms, Falcon. Mm-hmm. Then I put out another Wandering Birds album, then another Lauren's Arms record, and now the next is the Falcon. Well, how about <laughs> yeah. that? So I don't want to ask you too much, but are we in that mode yet, or are we still in the like? No, actually, I'm doing I'm doing a project um, right now that I can't really talk about, but it's. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. There's no way to discuss it without it sounding stupid because it is kind of stupid. But um, it's not this podcast. But it's right? it's just it's not this what? podcast. Yeah. No, no, it's not this, this is podcast. Very smart no. podcast. But it, yeah, very. It's um, erudite and sophisticated. <laughs> um, but but the um, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing this right now, and then like once I'm done with this, it'll be time to settle down and dip my toes into. I'm thinking the Falcon. Mm-hmm. I mean, be a real fucking kick in the dick to do two Lawrence Arms records during COVID, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come out, we're like, okay, now our catalog's 300. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I like to at least give the Skeleton Coast room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you, I guess when you're approaching writing Falcon songs with that intention, you're channeling things a little bit differently than you were for a Lawrence Arms record. Yeah. Well, it's like, I've got an idea of what each band is, you know, and it's just like sort of a, it's like a template and not in terms of the way the songs are written mm-hmm. or anything like, but in terms of what the vibe is, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and in terms of what the, like the thrust of the energy that I'm putting forth is going to be, they, they're different. It's nuanced. And I don't expect people to necessarily understand the difference all the time, but I, mm-hmm. do. you know, it's sort of like if you play fucking like deep house versus techno versus fucking Chicago house or whatever, mm-hmm. the fuck, you know, like, like to some people it's like well these are these have obvious differences to me it all sounds exactly the same like if you play my mom like fucking death metal versus doom metal versus fucking black metal she's like exactly the same Uh stuff you you know what i mean and and um but but i I invented what both these fucking bands sound like so i I know the (laughs) difference um (laughs) <laughs> so, 
you know, like, and, and I mean, I don't even say that to like, uh, I don't say that to detract from anybody, especially Chris, who I think is, would be the obvious person that it sounds like I'd be like, hey, but it's like mm-hmm. when the Lawrence Arm started, I had this idea when Chris came along, it created the dynamic that became the real thing of the Lawrence Arms. And I know what my songs are when they bounce off mm-hmm. of that. You know what I mean? And um, and so I write my songs with a very specific idea that they will be alongside Chris's mm-hmm. songs, you know, and that Chris will be the guitar player. And Chris will be singing the backing vocals and stuff like that. And when I do the Falcon, there that is not a part of the equation, obviously, because Chris is not in the Falcon. Um, and the differences are subtle, but it's like some of the, you know how you see, like, you can see a thousand good reviews of something and you see one bad review and that's the only yep. one you remember. And, people, and you know, on the, for Skeleton Coast, people were like, Brennan songs just sound like Falcon songs. And it's like, no, huh. they don't. They're Lawrence Arm songs. Um, like, like the, I can tell you, as the guy that writes songs for both bands, <laughs> that they're different. Yeah. You know? But it's like, at the same time, uh, everything I do informs everything else I do. And that's very evidenced in the beginning of this record, actually. Um, you know, uh, but no, I go into it with a, just like a different mind frame. And it, and like being the guy from the Falcon is different than being one of the guys from the Lawrence mm-hmm. Arms in terms of like what the attitude and like, I don't want to say swagger because that sounds like a little bit like macho for what I'm really trying mm-hmm. to convey. But, just the the vibe is is a different thing and i i'm just like i'm just aware of it like i sit down to write falcon songs it's mm-hmm. i sit down to write falcon songs i don't sit down to write a song and then throw it in a different basket and go like oh this would be obviously yeah 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 fucking wandering bird song this would be a lawrence arm song it's like i sit down to write a falcon mm-hmm. record you know so so you recorded this one with dan tinkler um working with dan how how did that come to be i i met dan uh he and my friend matt jordan both worked at atlas and did some studio shit out in crystal lake together um but was it through atlas that you met tinkler absolutely um you know neil was doing work at atlas as well and dan was just a he's just awesome i mean he's so talented he's such a cool dude to be mm-hmm. around and um he's really got a good ear <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> and he's he's really good at knowing how to be like i think that could be better with you know like which is like working with a young engineer that i know just like grew up as like a fan of like the stuff that you know me dave and dan and neil have mm-hmm. all done you know, that could be a problem, right? Like, in terms of, like, oh, I'm not going to tell you guys that that wasn't right. good, but Dan does Dan does not have that problem, you know? And that's fucking crucial. And, you know, I mean, he's just, he's a great guy, and he's he's got a great ear, and he's, you know, he's awesome. And Matt Allison does not have any desire to touch any project of that I'm in that's not the Lawrence Arms. Um, it, like he's been very 
clear about that. And so, uh, you know, um, so that wasn't an option. (laughs) But how does that, how does that become clear? He's like, nah, man, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this. (laughs) Just because, um, I don't know. I think, I think there's a certain part of it that's probably artistic. That's like, it's you and Neil and I'm engineering it. It's going to just sound like the Lawrence arm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there's another part of it. That's like the sensibility of some of this shit is not for me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Like, I think that, I mean, definitely with the wandering birds record, he was like, no, I want nothing to do with this. I don't, well, my name anywhere near this record, um, which is understandable. Yeah. Also, it was Matt's birthday yesterday, too. We share the same birthday. That's right. I definitely wished him a We're happy ten... birthday yesterday and today. We're 10 years apart to the day. That's wild. Yeah, he's he's only 24. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can I ask you? We, we won't air this. What you were born in St. Louis? Do you know what time mm-hmm. you were born? I want to say it was like seven twelve p.m. or something Sick. like that. I want to check out your birth chart. I'm not positive about that, but I think that's all that's right. Close. Cool. I love this shit. I'll give you if there's anything super interesting. I'll let you know. I'll let you know either way. I feel like I'm like looking in your closet. So I wouldn't want to do that and not tell you about all the things that I found. Like your socks that are missing, covered in. All right, back to the show. <laughs> Took a little break mm-hmm. there. Um, so that is, um, I mean, that's a crazy quality, though, uh, for Dan to have, to just be in a position like the one that he's in growing up the way that he did, and he's able to say, like, now nah, do that again. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the thing about Tinkler is he's just, he's, at the end of the day, he's a consummate professional. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you definitely need experience mm-hmm. for that, right? To, 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 like, really exude that. But at the same time, it's, like, also innate. And he has mm-hmm. both. And so it's, like, you know, he's... He's the guy. I mean, he's the fucking Lawrence Arms sound man. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he, he fucking does all the Wandering Birds stuff. He did so much for the Wandering Birds. He's in the band, mm-hmm. you know? So, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I, I think very highly of Dan Tinkler. Um, I admire his talent a lot. And um, he's just also just a great dude. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what he's on the cover of this fucking album, for God's sakes. Uh, that's Dan Tinkler. If you guys want to know who Dan Tinkler is, he's the leather daddy on the cover of this. So movie. how did that come to be? Did he offer his services or did this idea come up and you say to yourself, ah, I know who would, who would be perfect in this role? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, Dan's got a big black beard. So the leather daddy thing, it's just like a natural uh-huh. fit. And second of all, um, Everybody thinks that's Ian Mackay on the cover of the Minor Threat discography, but it's his uh-huh. brother, right? Who's uh-huh. not in the band. 
And then on the cover of Out Come the Wolves, that dude's not in the band either. Everybody thinks that's oh, Tim. Oh, interesting. Right? It's and his so brother, like, Billy oh, it can't Joe. Be somebody in the, yeah, can't be somebody in the band. Um, you know, and then you think of Tinkler in a Leather Daddy outfit. You start laughing. You ask Tinkler. He says yes. Next thing you know, boom. <laughs> you got your cover. I would like to... Uh... I would like to hear a four-song EP that's Dan Tinkler, whoever the guy is on the cover of Welcome the Wolves, and then I'm guessing it would be Alec Mackay. And uh, could you just call it just call it the Stoop Brothers? Just yeah. <laughs> then, and then it's like it's like fucking HR from Bad Brains on the cover doing mm-hmm. the Stoop thing. <laughs> It's got to be somebody pretty iconic. And right? then, and then we could say, Alec, we're gonna put you. You're. We're, it's gonna be a split. We're gonna put you on the same record as this other band, and then nobody's gonna remember your band. They're just gonna remember that your band was on the same side as Void. <laughs> so, it's a good idea. I think it's gonna. I think it's got. Um, legs. <laughs> So uh, Katie Hoblin, ex- excellent Chicago-based photographer, um, took this photo. Um, but you, it, this was your concept of like, oh, yeah, let's gather up the chaps. We know yeah. the name. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was – Katie's a great photographer, and she does like really stylized work. And it just seemed appropriate based on the – like all the treatment of like the minor threat cover, you know, being in like a sort of like variant hues that some somehow kind of like evoke like sepia tone, but mm-hmm. are like actually chromatic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the outcome, the wolves cover, which is obviously treated like, um, like when you make flyers back in the day and you would just like take a picture and you'd Xerox it and then you'd Xerox the Xerox in order to give it that like really like broken up mm-hmm. look. So, like, Katie's a friend. She's very kind. She's very talented. Um, and she takes these very stylized pictures. And so it was just really kind of a no-brainer that she would be the one to mm-hmm. do it. Um, and I'm thankful she was available and interested. Um, did you or did you all, like, do the shoot together? Were you there? Did Dan have a good time in the, in the get-up? He did. Um, I don't remember who was there. I was there. Um, I, I don't really remember too much about it, but I do remember Dan being like, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into it. This is red scare catalog number CCP one, nine, five, two. I love that. These all start with CCP. I just wanted to point that out for the record. Oh yeah. It's awesome. So the trash, as you alluded to earlier, starts off the chorus of the last song on the record same as metropole mm-hmm. yeah um this has more to do with the last song than with the first song it has it is the last song is like sort of like the i mean i don't want to get too into it now because we're at the beginning but um, I really wanted the last song to be resonant on the mm-hmm. record, um, and I didn't want to like give it too much. 
I didn't want to be too overt about the whole thing. Um, but at the same time, I wanted it to be acknowledged that it was a significant mm-hmm. piece that, that I think maybe was like a, a framing device for the yeah. whole thing. Um, kind of. And, uh, and I think it's, it's like a different take on the whole, on the whole album, but the whole album exists within it really. And, um, also, I just thought it was really cool to do that on Metropole. This is a much simpler version. It's not like we don't have the last song starting with the first mm-hmm. song, you know, like and like all of that kind of stuff. It's a it's a much more simple idea, but it was definitely sort of cribbed from that idea in in uh, in Metropole. But I just thought it'd be cool to start it out with all four of us singing, and then have it kick into this like really sort of like aggressive mm-hmm. song that and, and it would just like sort of pump up the aggression of the first song by by existing before it a little bit. Yeah. Um to use an opposite example, when we were coming up with new intro music in the Lawrence Arms, uh one time we we decided Oh, Thunderstruck by A C D C that would be dope. Um You're talking about coming on stage intro music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah coming on stage. And then as soon as we got on stage, we were like, oh, no, this was a terrible idea because that song rocks so much harder than we do. Uh, <laughs> the song, like, it has to, like, kick up a notch uh-huh. when you get onto the stage, you know? <laughs> so so there, there was a little bit of a lesson there. And also, yeah, just kind of the, the coolness of the whole thing. And I like the cyclical idea of it. And I just... Yeah, I guess it's a place where I was at in terms of like my own like creative structuring of albums or whatever. Uh-huh. But there's there's a lot more significance to that that song and to place it at the beginning, I think contextualizes the entire album. If you bother to think of it that way, which you really don't have to. This could just be twelve like fucking pop punk slash hardcore songs. Mm-hmm. You know, pop pop hardcore. I don't know what you even want to call it. <laughs> Well, I think that we'll we'll definitely get into the context of Black Teeth, but just those lines um, as an introduction are so evocative, and they really, like, within this song and just removed fully from the context of Black Teeth, there's so much that is just stated by the idea that We'll fall out. The crowd will be shouting. I'll fall out. The blood will be pounding. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks. That's it's awesome. It's kind of the that was the hope. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it's really it really has a lot more to do with black teeth than it has to do with the trash. But the trash just seemed like such a fucking tough opener. I mean, it would have been there mm-hmm. regardless. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I I don't think there's much of a connection between that part and and this as, as much as I wanted the record to start with that like um sort of chant of all of all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I, I fucking I feel like a dope for not remembering the term for it, but it's when a movie just like drops you in, like in uh, Train Spotting, when it just drops you in with uh, Renton and Spud running away and you're like well what the fuck's going on yeah yeah just like hitting the ground running a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean you know i don't know i don't know what 
proper term is. Something cool sounding. Probably something with a French uh, accent somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know how they do. So, but the trash. Um, it sets this record up extraordinarily well, topically. Like, we're talking about the Falcon as a writing exercise, as like sort of an extension of a a part of you being um you know a little bit uh provocative and a little bit crass at times yeah i mean this is like violent id type shit Mm -hmm. um and not necessarily in terms of like punching out people's teeth and you know strangling people and stuff like that but in terms of just like i don't know i think i guess the best way i could describe it which i have not i'm not pleased with this description but it's so apt i can't not do it white male aggression right Mm -hmm. um like um like and actually now that i've said that that becomes remember that when we talk about black teeth okay um Mm -hmm. that because that 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 does have a lot to do with it And I mean, like, I don't mean white male aggression in terms of, like, my country's being taken over by these Jews and, you know, minorities. Uh, that's not what I mean at all. Mm-hmm. What I mean is um, I think there is a reality, particularly if you are, like, a leftist and an ally um, to marginalized people, right, that it's like, I'm a white male everything's fucking good for me. I can be angry on behalf of other people, but like my own rage is, uh, no matter how like natural it is, it, it's not really significant. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It like in the great scheme of things, it's like, what do I have to really complain about? You know, what do I have to be angry about? I like, you know, I've had every advantage and that is true. Mm -hmm. Um, it also is true that people become, your life is on the fucking thermometer that it's your life. You know, Mm -hmm. like when fucking Paris Hilton was like, you know, all over the news because her Chihuahua died and people were like this fucking bitch, who cares about a fucking dog? You know, buy 10 more dogs. And it's like, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to her. Mm -hmm. And I don't like have a ton of sympathy for Paris Hilton in general. I think she's probably pretty horrible, but like, her pet died. Yeah. That's, that sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not very, it's like, it's like, you're not allowed to not have emotions just because you've got it pretty easy compared to some other people. You know what I mean? And so like the channeling of this sort of frustration and like impotent rage, I gave it a race because I think that that's uh, really what this record is more about. It's not about like, personal injustices or anything like that it's it's about an impotent rage that i feel like i have no right to even possess Mm -hmm. does that make sense without me sounding like a fucking racist uh (laughs) yeah you know what it really does and i think that um you know this is something that i've kind of been looking forward to talking about with you um just being um being on the I think the Gen X uh, part of the continuum and me being, uh, you know, 10 years younger than you, but a little bit closer to Gen X than I am towards 
younger millennium millennials is that I've seen the way that um, I've seen the way that things have changed in terms of white male aggression over the past 20 years. And those changes have been significant. I mean, I think back to, you know, some of those Eminem interviews with Kurt Loder on MTV, where he, you know, just talks about all of the violence that's in him. And it's like, at that time, there was part of me that's like, yeah, I get that. And then you get a little bit older and it's like, you know, I don't get that as much as uh, I used to. But, you know, also like, like things have shifted in our society so much. And I think that like (laughs) you and I, I think fall in an interesting category of uh, folks who have had to um, come to terms with the fact that we have a lot more responsibility than we were expected of back then. And I think, I think a lot of like you and like Drew McGarry as two people who I've known as being, you know, pretty funny dudes who like to talk about like, uh, boobs and balls who have also, I think taken a little bit more openly to the fact that like, yeah, maybe I can like still be, like kind of a perv but i can trim off this percentage of that that is not being taken not not you know being as inclusive very easily right and i mean inherently there's nothing wrong with any like infueled emotion it is only becomes wrong when it's pointed you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like um like you're allowed no matter who you are you're allowed to be angry you're allowed to be sad you're allowed to be horny you're allowed to be kind of pervy but it's like you know you can be pervy um in like your art mm-hmm. uh you know you can be pervy with your consensual partner whether like that's like your spouse or somebody that you just don't even know that you met in a dark room you know in the back of some kind of weird club mm-hmm. that's fine it's the second that it becomes predatory or uh non consensual or just like or starts creeping people out Mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about like freaking out the squares because there's a difference yeah you know like um like if uh say you you know you hear a song like uh find them fuck them and flee by nwa it's a very nihilistic song right Mm -hmm. and you know and it's definitely misogynistic um, as as hell, mm-hmm. but in a very generic kind of way. Right. And I, I feel like, fine, you want to be upset with that song? I think you're kind of missing the point, which is that those dudes are just like fucking kind of writing a hilarious mm-hmm. like 30 nursery rhymes situation. Mm-hmm. And which is not to say that you don't have the right to be fucking bombed about it or whatever. Right. But like, but if I'm standing in a group of people, I'm like, check out her tits. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, totally. like that, that's like, that's a whole different thing. It's pointed. It's like predatory. It's creepy. And it's not like, there's no like artistic merit to it or whatever, but I don't know. 
I guess I'm kind of losing my train of thought here because I don't remember why I started talking about things like NWA and <laughs> tits. But oh, I guess I guess because of Drew's and my um, admission of like interest in the more puerile things mm-hmm. um, across the board, purient and puerile, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's disingenuous not to acknowledge the existence of like id-based feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you get your like finger quotes, male feminists, <laughs> you know, sure. that are like yeah, yeah, yeah. that that like use that as like a sort of predatory shield or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know. And totally. uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm like hurling a lot of stones without like really, um, I defending mean, I, my, myself yeah, too yeah. much. But like what I'm what I'm trying to say is like uh, the. This album is is a catharsis for something that like people don't really talk about existing, yeah. but it does exist, mm-hmm. and it's like you know, uh, I I know that I have it very easy, you know, mm-hmm. I, but like, I mean, fucking. Anthony Bourdain still killed himself, man. You know, like, like, like the, yeah, like mm-hmm. fucking, and that's like mm. a very rich, very white, uh, guy who had mm-hmm. from the outside, no problems whatsoever, mm-hmm. you know? And like, it is, uh, it, it's just a reality. And, and again, it becomes, like dirty to to consider when you when you're when you're like self aware enough to be like there's people out there with fucking real struggles and mm-hmm. you know I'm just I'm depressed about like whatever the fuck it is I don't I don't even know you know so yeah anyway, I mean I you, yeah, yeah yeah you got that line on War of Colossus uh, bitching's the downside of living the dream and that's like. To me, that's yeah. a very Maslow's hierarchy of needs where it's you got food and shelter taken care of, all that stuff. Yep. What's left? Well, um, I guess the existential nature of humankind. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it's a messy business being human no matter who you are, you know, and, uh, and fucking mm-hmm. like your emotions get fucking torn up and dragged through the fucking ringer no matter no matter who you fucking are and um you know and which is not this just to be a hundred percent clear i've got it very easy i am not suggesting i do not mm-hmm. um but i'm also a human boy um and uh, mm-hmm. that's sort of sort of the, the main thrust of what i guess yeah i mean we're is the end of this record mm-hmm. and we're I remember getting into conversation with someone that I was working with um, about 2001: A Space Odyssey, and they were saying, "Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that movie because that that beginning scene and like the the idea that what what pushes you know that group of of primates forward is an act of violence. I don't think that I agree with that." And I was like. Oh fuck you! I I can't re- I can't relate to to that like presentation because it's a 
this is how I am. Like, I don't contain violence in me. And it's like, yeah, of course you contain violence in you. It's you, like one of the most naive readings of that. She lived with her parents, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, you know, um, I suppose male culture is inherently more violent than, um, you know, she's a woman. Um, mm-hmm. There is, I mean, just look at fucking prison. Look at serial killers. Mm-hmm. Look at fucking dictators and shit like that, you know. There, there is a, there is a, uh, there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, you know, I think it's important to like understand and celebrate those differences also. Like when people are like, Any, anything men can do, women can do. I'm like, well, I don't think it's the other way around. Like, I don't think anything women can do, men can do, mm-hmm. you know? So like, um, yeah, I mean, technically, uh, you're mostly right with, you know, I mean, if you you know, subscribe to biology and stuff like that. There's a few exceptions, but obviously mm-hmm. that's like not, I mean, that's way more than I'm qualified to get into right now. But I mean, I understand yeah. that that's a tangent of this, but like there, there are fucking fundamental differences. I've got a son and a daughter and like not, nobody has to ascribe to any gender norms. Mm-hmm. But gender norms weren't, like, put down by one guy who was like, these will be the gender norms. They exist because of a pattern that happens quite often. Yeah. You know? And, and like, I mean, fuck them. I don't, you know, I'm I'm all on the fucking gender is over team. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't care about, I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. At all. I mean, it's like. I look like fucking Mario and Luigi's cousin and I wear pink nail polish and shit, you know, like, like, (laughs) like just sort of as a, I don't know, as a fuck you to anybody that, that's that's what I'm, see, I'm really fighting the fight is what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, but, but, but I mean, the idea is like, you know, you could do something like small like that, which is like subversion from like a, a privileged uh, standpoint. Or you can be somebody that's born into a situation that's like, ah, none of this is for me. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking dope, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if we're going to talk binarily just for the sake of ease, men are more violent than women. And a woman saying, I don't believe that this comes from a place of violence, I kind of understand a little more than a dude saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If it was a dude saying it, male feminist. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's something lurking back there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, I think that um, it's obviously it's good to have these types of conversations. I think it's good to also express just like what is inherent in all of us. And um, there's a great podcast that if you don't listen to it, it's called Axe to Grind. It's uh, it's a hardcore podcast, and they talk about this a lot the the violence that's a part of hardcore and the importance of that and using that place as a way to um you know express valve mm -hmm, and also as a as a place to just create community and welcome everybody else and like never actually take it out or direct it to any one person or set um yeah i think that it's part of just being a honest with yourself and analyzing yourself as a person is just to 
to know that I mean it's nothing is ever one or the other except for death. Yeah. You're dead or you're not. Yeah, you're well. You're dead twice. That's true. You've already you've already like not existed for eternity, which is why you keep, like can't be scared too scared to death because it's like you already did it once. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. I think I think that's a important thing to remember. But uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, if you're on this fucking planet and you're you're faced with like the um, finite nature of existence the limited capacity for love and empathy, the um, horrible predatory nature of almost everything in the entire animal kingdom and even plant kingdom, um, and you have no, like, fear and rage, and those are two very intertwined emotions, Mm -hmm. what the fuck are you? (laughs) <laughs> you know like what what are you doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you better be six <laughs> like what are you six okay <laughs> and now we are six that's what the whole book's about it's just being being a weird non-violent uh thing being yeah. um but yeah i this the song i think it's um it's super fun. It's also very short. These songs, do we break three minutes on this record? The longest song is um, uh, Skeleton Dance. It's a cool 245, I think. Yeah, I don't think that anything. Oh, no, no, no. Um, uh, you Dumb Dildos <laughs> is the longest song on the record. I, um, I just wanted you to say that. That's the only thing. Yeah, and, and uh, oh, I'm sure we've <laughs> talked about the the tale of how that song got named, but that's a very exciting. I can't wait to get to it. But yeah. This song is, um, I think it rips on the record. It's one of my favorite songs on the whole record. Mm-hmm. This is one of those ones that does not go over live. Really? Yeah. And I would have bet my life that this would have been like closer material. Uh huh. You know, I was like, this song fucking shreds. Hmm. It's, And I, I feel like when I hear it, it does shred. And when we started playing, it's like, you know, I'm playing with like three of the best musicians I know. And um, and I know the songs because I wrote them, you know. And like, I've stopped doing the thing where I like get too drunk to play and fall off the stage and stuff like that. So it's like my voice is always on. I'm always I'm always playing the parts right. And then I'm surrounded by these virtuosos. So it's not like we were playing the song bad, mm-hmm. but it just, and I mean, as soon as we played it the first, the first time we played it, I was like, oh man, so that's weird. That song doesn't work. And Neil was like, yeah, it doesn't work. I mean, Neil and me are obviously so tuned into the same wavelength, same like alien channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Dan and Dave were like, you're crazy, man. It's just like a weird thing. And then we played another time. And they're like, you're right. It doesn't work. Huh. It doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, which is a real shame because I really like this song. I mean, that thing that Dave does with the guitar where it's like in the second verse where it's like. Like, it's just like this crazy guitar fucking thing. And Dave was all like when we were in the studio, I remember he was like, oh, no, right here. This thing is cool. Save this. We could maybe pop this in somewhere else also, because uh, that is fucking dope sounding. And and uh, 
I mean, we didn't end up popping it anywhere else, I don't believe, mm-hmm. but he, he was right. I mean, yeah, there's so much cool stuff going on in this one, and enjoy it on the record, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this seems like, when you're talking about writing a Falcon record, this seems like a very deliberate first song, Side A. I think this was the first song I wrote for the record, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's got the vibe. It's got that, like, sort of, like... I mean, I think that the chorus is very interesting in terms of, like, sort of what we were, like, long-windedly talking about. But it's, like, you know, take out the trash, show her the town. I mean, it's obviously, like, a bait-and-switch there, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and it's like, oh, you're talking about this woman. But, like, then it immediately turns around on you, you know, it's like pour in the poison, try not to drown, like to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, it's not like try not to make her drown, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, it's, it's like sort of like, I think subverting the idea in my intent, you know, which means nothing, but, um, was like subverting the idea of, um, castigating women for like, uh, daring to want to have fun and, and, um, mm-hmm. it being like, well, actually, like, you're kind of the pig. Like, you kind of, like, you, you took out this woman that you think of as being, like, trashy, and you're the one that's, like, drinking yourself to death and trying not to, you know, fucking sub- succumb to, like, your interior monologue that wants you to scream and cry, you know? Like, um, it, like, and just... I just like a n- nameless woman called the trash being taken out by somebody that's like the actual trash. Yeah. War of Colossus. I love the way that this one just like, you've got the kind of the noise that swells up. And then I love how after the trash, like really like kicks in war of Colossus, like kind of just like stumbles into the first verse. It's such an interesting start. Yeah. With Dave, came in with that intro in mind mm-hmm. he did that i was he was like what do you think about the starting of this one i was like i just thought we'd just start it you know because as we talked about you know calcutta that was when i stopped doing intros and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. you know and uh just economy of songwriting and dave was like i got an idea for the beginning of this and dave's like got this big like fucking grateful dead fish style like effects board that he uses oh. <laughs> uh and so he's like, I got some ideas. And he's like, you know, redoes some wiring and jukes all these different fucking knobs and shit. And he just does that like, you know, and it's, uh, I mean, it's to great effect. It's, it's exactly what I like about it is the song is called War of Colossus. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the, the central metaphor is, uh, the, the, the battle between the sperm whale and the giant squid, which is a common, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, common, uh, sort of, we know that happens, but we've never seen it because it happens so far down mm-hmm. in the ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we'd never seen a giant squid alive until I think like last year. Right. Yeah. Um, only the tentacles washed up on shore. We just knew they existed and we knew that they've tackled with, uh, tangled rather with uh, sperm whales because we've seen the scars from like the large beak and from the large like suction cups or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like uh, War of Colossus being this 
epic battle that takes place like in the midnight zone um right it, like a, a real live like godzilla movie but mm-hmm. subterranean yeah um it, i don't know if it's called subterranean if it's in the water uh subaquatic subaquatic yeah i guess well yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know what that word is very deep in the water Uh um and uh and then dave comes in with that intro and it's very much like as close to a guitar making the sound of a whale song as there could be Mm. like and i don't know his intentionality behind it but he did it and i was like oh that fits with this whole thing so fucking well yeah Something like that when it happens, it's just like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, beautiful little symmetry there. But that's not to say he didn't think of that totally on purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I we've never we've never discussed it, which at this point seems weird uh, that we never did. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I love I love. I think this song to definitely the other three guys is the best song on this record. I really like this song. And it's funny that we talked about like this, um, this idea that like, Oh, these are these Lawrence arm songs sound like they could be Falcon songs, but this one is, it's got so much of like the, I think the deeper metaphors that really make skeleton coast up. Yeah. Well, you know, there... which isn't to say that I'm like agreeing with that critique no, that no, people no, had. No, I, but... I understand, but like it brings up you bring up a point that is just like, God, I'm going to say this first sentence, and people are just going to like chortle through everything else I say. <laughs> but it's like punk rock is so fucking full of just like tired ass nautical imagery, and I know I do it all the time but i always do it as like a fucking exercise where i'm trying to subvert the idea of like you know these are stormy seas and i wish i had an anchor you know like stuff like that it's like i mean the ocean is more than half of the world and like it and the the sort of hubris of thinking that you can go out into this like like land animals are a distinct minority on this earth, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, I'll go into where everybody actually does their thing. Even though I'm not equipped to survive there whatsoever in just like a tub. And I'm going to put up basically a blanket and it's going to like shoot me across the fucking ocean. Um, It's like the, I mean, there's a metaphor for touring there, which I think is why it becomes mm-hmm. so like completely uh overused in um in in punk rock specifically but uh i also like i like to i like to sing about the the fucking the the creatures yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and like and the destruction of the ships and stuff like that. Like, and, and like at the hands of something bigger than, than what, you know, like, uh, I mean, okay. So smoke or fire with my friend, Joe, um, and my friend, Jeremy, uh, all, all my friends in that band, but those are the two guys I know the best. And for the longest, um, they, uh, 
they put out a record and it was called This Sinking Ship. And huh. I saw I saw that and I was like, man, all right, it's that was the first thing I saw where I was like, okay, it's enough already with the ships and stuff like that. Oh, like, it's like, a metaphor. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, that's no diss to them. I mean, that mm-hmm. it's a good record, you know, and the the the, the imagery is fucking right on for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But like that, it was just a point where I was like, okay. And just because they're my buds, it, you know, and they're a band I listened to, it came across my, my desk. And that was the one where I saw where I was like, oh, we're doing this a lot. Yeah. Like we mm-hmm. as punk rockers in this like sort of scene mm-hmm. are doing this a lot. And then like that band captain were sinking came out and I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> too, too much boat stuff, too much maritime theme, you know? And, and it's like, it's kind of like almost like you're in a skit, um, like on that Mitchell and Webb look or something where it's like, you see, uh, you know, you see this sinking ship and you're like, Ooh, okay. I, I think that's the last one that's going to be allowed, you know? And then you yeah, see yeah, yeah. fucking, you see captain we're sinking and you're like, okay, that's a band name. Uh, but you know, like that's a cool band. They're not really like, and then like you turn around and you see like anchors away by the bouncing souls. You're like, ah, it's everywhere. <laughs> Holy fuck. You know, like, uh, <laughs> like, um, and, and, and so, I mean, I'm aware that, like, fucking one of, like, people's favorite songs on Skeleton Coast is that fucking How to Rot song, which I, I sing about, like, the fucking, but it's the ships are being taken down by the whales, man. Um, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's from the bar in Brandy. That's the uh, that's the other thing. Um, yeah, that's where they're that's where they're watching from. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. from the bar in the song "Brandy," you're a fine girl by Looking Glass. Um, but we're not talking about Skeleton Coast right now. And besides, that is a song or an album about a coastline, or you know, named for a coastline. So that mm-hmm. stuff is going to be it's going to bleed in here and there. But this song is purely about a battle of wills between two things that are so huge they could destroy us all and barely have brains. Um, not really um, about a maritime excursion so much as the depths. Before we get more into that, I just want to throw something out there. Uh, the Future is Cancelled by Captain We're Sinking is one of the best punk records of the past 10 years. And I'm not saying that you weren't saying anything against Captain We're Sinking, but... Um, that no, I we, think I think I think they're terrific. That band's um, so I think, good. I think they're a terrific band, and um, yeah, that's a great that's a great album. It's very uh, it's very heady. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't mean that. I think people started saying that in a in a negative way, heady. But like, I I think I think it's a cool way to describe something that you can think about if you want to. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? It's very. Um, um... And that's the way I intend it. So if you're out there. Captain We're Sinking fans, or I don't know, maybe the dudes in the band. Uh, I didn't mean that in a negative way. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I totally knew that you didn't, but I that's a record that I have found in my... I, I started finding myself stumping for that record a lot last year when there were all those end-of-the-decade retrospectives. I feel like that one got glossed over big time. It should be remastered. Um, run, run for cover records, please do that. Um, just for me. And uh, and Tim Brown, uh, our friend, who Huge joined us on Patreon. Yeah. Um, 
but no, I feel you. It is a, it's definitely a, it's something that we return to a lot. I mean, is it Thabes said all is water? Like the basic like birth of Western philosophy, um, like pre-Socratic is this dude Thabes who said that like all is water. Um, so we've got, you know, several thousand uh, years of looking at the water and thinking of it in in terms of, you know, I mean, eventually it just becomes about trade and all that. But there's this idea that there's something that's happening underneath that is of this world that is really beyond this world and the the kraken um these huge squid that go to battle with sperm whales in parts of the sea that we can't even see is yeah exactly i mean that's like that's norse legend that's fucking everything yeah no it's um again it's more than half the world it's significantly more than half the population of the world um you know it's to not be intrigued by what what goes on under the sea is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, probably, well, there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't, but I think I know where they stand on a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I feel you, though. Too, a few too many peacoats uh, and uh, anchors and... A lot of anchor tattoos out there, a lot of which I've always tattoos. thought was a weird thing for punk rock, man. I don't need no anchor. Isn't it like the opposite? Damn right. It's like no fucking anchors, man. Yeah. No gods, no masters, no anchors. Where's the wind blowing? That's where I'm going. <laughs> you know. Um. The the first verse of the song. Um. You know, I don't know if this was intentional, but reading it, I I feel like there is like a transgender reading of that first verse. You hate the, you hate that boy in the mirror. You hate that boy in your clothes. Um. Is that intentional? No, I, I think it's I think it's more more universal than that um, mm-hmm. uh, reading. Although I don't, I'm not saying it's not about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying it's it's about that and more. It's just the it's just waking up and like avoiding the mirror. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like some days you wake up and you're like, I, I just can't even look at myself today. And it's not even like, cause he did anything. It's just like, Egh. like, I don't want to take stock in my own personal appearance. It's disgusting. I don't like myself. Uh, yeah. You know, Oh, look at my clothes. I don't really fit too much. And you know, like, and then like that. And, and it's like a back and forth in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm I'm starting to yeah. I hate you. You hate me. Mirror. How about that? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is something that um, you know, maybe it just like struck me in the past like week or so. It's, I mean, it's something that I've you know I've always been in like a small body. I've always had like um, you know I think a bit of uh, there's little brother napoleon like however you want to look at it but um you know certain lines like that um 
think hitting on hitting on a deeper meaning is um just a really nice thing um but i mean that's like i think all of this song is kind of like what's happening underneath and it's kind of going into like what we were talking about earlier with that like violence that's underneath yeah i mean well this is this is a this is a song about bubbling up like the emotions and rage obviously is it like Mm -hmm. as it builds um the next part of this verse is like maybe my favorite lyrics i've ever written anywhere um like i think the way it builds to the line something gigantic is dying tonight is like uh Mm -hmm. eh. and i finished it i was like damn and then i sent it to the dudes and they were like damn these words what's up man yeah crazy you know i mean it's just like i don't know i mean i don't sit here and like fucking play my own harmonica or whatever but uh you know I, i was really happy with these words the way they came out and like the sort of like way the rhymes like sort of like juke back and forth and stuff mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i mean like blood so black as it drains in the shale it's like what the fuck did you come up with that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah man uh no the whole, the whole thing was like uh I mean, this this song, the lyrics came out really fast. I think that's the only way to get stuff like this. Like, for me, to mm-hmm. harvest it from my head, the, the only way to get it is to, like, just crank on it really fast. And, like, yeah. I mean, the Kraken circles the girth of the whale. I mean, just War of Colossus, Leviathan Pride, I think is fucking cool. Yeah, Leviathan is, like... So there was like a this Twitter account when I first started on Twitter, and the dude, uh, his tweets were so funny and so, I guess, not racist but like misanthropic, mm-hmm. right? It was just like it was the picture wasn't of like the guy. Um, the name was just Leviathan Pride. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when this song started coming together, it was just, like, such a avatar to me of, like, what I was getting at here. Like, somebody that's, like, online that's just, like, throwing out, like, this, like, just these fucked up things that are, like, not to be said in polite society, mm-hmm. but, you know, under the disguise of the internet and, like, with, like, couched in humor, mm-hmm. like, you can kind of say it, you know, and... Mm-hmm. uh and so, like, when I just got there, it was just like, you know, just kind of went right through. But I love but, that. <laughs> you should have you should have written Dad Boner. Mm-hmm. The War of Colossus, Dad Boner. Yeah. Would have been a funny song. <laughs> you remember Dad Boner? Of course, yeah. Okay. Um, Nihilist Arby's gets lumped in with dad boner and a lot of like articles about viral weird twitter or whatever um i like the i like this m part too just like you know i've got some gas and a taste for a fire like it's just so 
silly, but it's also, yeah, it's dark. It's fucked up. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the fucking party at the end of the world, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, like when do your parents go out for the night? I think is like, it's just like, when, when can we stop pretending and start getting into destroying ourselves? You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like that's what I'm here for is like self-destruction or when can we start? I want, I got some gas, I got a fire, um, you know, we'll, we'll get drunk and then, uh, I want to die and I don't care who knows, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It builds, it, it builds up. It's like, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, this motherfucker wants to die, uh, obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> You know, it's just like kind of all coming to the surface. I mean, were you were you kidding when you when you had that uh, the you know the reaction of the dudes are just like whoa okay because we talked about no, that a lot on Skeleton no, 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 Coast no. of or am I am uh, I putting two different things together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, these guys were like these lyrics are dope. Mm-hmm. Like they they were more like yo, this is dope. Um, I mean, you know me, Tim. I'm a pretty happy guy. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fucking, I mean, I, I like gasoline and that it powers my car and I like fire and that it cooks my food, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to die. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, Sergio, let's do Sergio's here and then we'll for next week. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Great. Uh, Sergio's here. So if there ever, I would say, if there ever was a good name for a drug dealer, I think you would be hard-pressed to come up with a better one than Sergio. Is there a Sergio that inspired this piece? If there ever was a worse drug dealer, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with one that wasn't Sergio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah, no, Sergio is a real guy. Um, he was, I don't know, like, I would see him. I He, like, I had friends that would, like, deal with him or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to talk too much about, like, his, like, physicality or too much about, he doesn't know about this. And I, I, I don't know what the fuck, <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> statute of limitations of putting drug dealers into songs by name is mm-hmm. uh, so we could just say generically that uh yeah he exists i assume there's a guy named sergio that sells drugs um you know um but uh but yeah um real dude uh this sounds pretty fun um i i wrote it as a goof mm-hmm. and the like, you know, the the, the chorus is, it was like all of a sudden, God, I don't know how to say this in the right order. Um, I wrote this song kind of as a goof. Um, obviously, like the beginning of it is like really lighthearted. And then by mm-hmm. the end, it's like, gets a little dark. Um, oh, but, cool. but once I got to the end and I got to the end part, I went back and rewrote the choruses and I was like, Oh, these can't be stupid. If 
the beginning could be stupid, mm-hmm. but if the end is going to be this, and I really enjoy the end of this song, mm-hmm. then I'm going to have to rewrite these choruses and make them like really poetic. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so I like threw in those lines, which are like the lines that lead up to the, but Sergio's here. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, Oh, this makes all the difference in the world. Like now this song can totally stand on its own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, this was the single off this record. Yeah. The video for this and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a big, a big fave. Um, and it is also created a lexiconographic, uh, Newism, I guess. <laughs> uh huh. Oh, so in, the in, opposite of an obsolete vernacular. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it, but it has added to like the sort of like the vernacular in like the sort of like very limited um, sphere of like I guess greater uh, whatever niche part of punk rock we existed. In that people talk about Sergio as just drugs mm-hmm. or as a drug dealer, or if they're holding drugs, it's like, yo, I'm Sergio tonight. <laughs> or, and I mean, like, I'll hear it. I've heard it from people that don't know me, like standing behind me or something. Really? Being like, being like, yo, where's Sergio? Oh, I got some Sergio in my pocket. Shit like that. Huh. And, uh, and of, Everything I've ever done, that's probably the coolest uh, because uh, it's really um, to add a word into the fucking the lexicon of even like a tiny subculture is pretty dope, I think. Yeah, Um, for real. I had no idea. So this is you're a real Tina Turner, huh? um, Tina Turner was a. A uh, term that people use for meth back in the day. There's a great David Dondero song uh, called "Real Tina Turner" that everybody should check out. But it's, I think, it's just code for uh, meth, I believe. Um, but fuck, that's wild. So, how did you first become aware of that fact? People coming up to me and being like, "Yo, dude, Sergio's here." If you know what I mean, or like. I, I'm Sergio, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And like, like halfway through that Falcon tour, we were like, are people really like talking? To, like, are people really using the term Sergio as like code? Mm-hmm. It's fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> it's, the coolest, it's the coolest thing. Dude. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really, the first song that started out to be kind of, like I said, a goof. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm really fucking pleased with how this one turned out, and I I, I liked it immediately. And mm-hmm. like, this this is one of the ones that there, there's funny stuff in this song, man. Um, Truly, uh, like um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like I don't know if you want to go through it. Or you just want me to fucking list off the things that I think are funny, but uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit me. I'll follow along with you. Well, I mean, like, I, I start, I start, like, uh, I, my my funny things start in the second verse. I don't know. Um, but, like, 
when Dan was in the, well, so first of all, just shout out to the L and L in there, which mm-hmm. is a Chicago bar that, uh, I think it's safe to say the Lawrence Arms popularizes a punk rock uh, fucking go-to. Yeah. Because we were the only people that went there for a very long time. <laughs> so I, I'm i pretty sure that we had something to do with that. Um, but um, when it gets to the chorus, I remember we were in the studio dance, like, I'm going to sing the chorus with you. And I was like, okay, it's like kind of got that like herky-jerky, like, Beaks rhythm, like you, you got this, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, for sure." And so that moon is on his falling, but Sergio's here. Death is coming, calling, but now Sergio's here. Do you have the money, girl? I want to get high, and goddamn, it's Sergio's here. You know, and he just like went in and just like fucking hit it out of the park. Dan Adriano, consummate professional. You know, like yeah. uh, obviously, he, he's just like, I mean, he was just sort of like, Psh, please, yeah, I, I, I got you. You, you, mm-hmm. you and your fancy talking check this out you know and um i think and, i know uh, where this is going but i love it but he had obviously never <laughs> listened to the words um like too closely and once it was like recorded properly the first line in the second verse is uh they do some gambling on these cocks and balls which is um a reference to obviously cockfighting and lottery, mm-hmm. right? Which um, are Sergio into both, um, uh, allegedly in theory. <laughs> I mean, you know, were you to really exist, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then Dan goes, because <laughs> he'd never heard the line, and uh, we and I was like, we're leaving that in. We have to leave so the laugh uh-huh. in the fucking song, uh, you know. And then, mm-hmm. and then, like we just got into all the like the woo, and every, you know it was just like this. The song's so silly, um, and then we, you know, it was like we could do whatever we want here. It's like we're just we're partying, mm-hmm. you know. And it was like when we get to the holy shit part, and Dave's like, I want to say holy shit too, and Dan's like, I want to say holy shit, you know. So it's like holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, you know. It's just like it's all like it's just like overblown. And, uh, yeah, and then it all comes crashing down. <laughs> yeah, the the way that it just, like, descends, but then you get those really, like, those acoustic guitars that really remind you of Lazy Boy yep. come in, um, which are just, like, you just play those with just, like, such a sweet, like, timber to it thanks yeah i mean uh that is that is me on the acoustic guitar yeah as you just pointed out yes and it's like yeah it's like a little bit ska influenced um oh yeah for sure um yeah i i really love just that as just like a piece of connection to lazy boy um i i don't know i think that that's a nice little like bit of continuity there and yeah, it just all goes with these like this like little chorus of uh, of uh, cuteness, and the song itself is like super sugary too. Like the chorus melody is just like so nice and bubbly, and like oh, but Sergio's here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like 
I think the idea is like um uh somebody that's really excited for something um and also has to be very manipulative to get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's never a point where the narrator of this song has the money to pay Sergio. Uh he's always asking his old lady to give him money so he can pay Sergio. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um and then at the end it's like I don't know, this is like a very like uh sort of like high school movie or like young adult novel kind of thing where it's like um, you know, okay, I gave him the money for his drugs, but you know, now we're having a really romantic time, mm-hmm. but it's like in a graveyard, you know, and, and, and it's just like, I don't know, baby, it's, you know, like, it's just like art. It's, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is great. You know, what else has there ever been but art and mistakes? Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a fucking universal truism that, yeah. uh, I, I think mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, and then he's mm. like yeah no come here cuddle up to me and also Sergio's coming back again uh, <laughs> do you have any more money <laughs> like just the just the just ruthless manipulation mm-hmm. aspect I mm-hmm. think is it's been at the uh, at the, behind the first syllable of just like being in that place is like just leading up to the also you think you could give me yeah. some money Sergio's here <laughs> yeah yeah just, uh yeah no babe isn't this beautiful this is just what you wanted I told you I'd take you out here also okay yeah no I know I love you too that's great great you say that because um Sergio's actually coming back and I'm gonna need the rest of that money in your wallet that's cool <laughs> <laughs> Like Otter in uh, Animal House when he shows up to pick up his uh, his fiance Fawn Leibowitz, and then find out that Fawn's dead, and then uh, he gets consoled by uh, that nice young lady, and says, "Well, I don't want to be alone tonight. You think you could go out with me, maybe?" And she's like, "Sure." He's like, "I mean, can you get dates for five of my friends?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, cool. So that seems like a good place for us to put a pin on this episode, and we will finish off, gather up the chaps. Next week, subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice, and head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash bettersandwich. It is the coolest place ever. You can listen to us talk to Dave Haas. You can listen to us talk to Dan Andriano. Dan. Toby Chan. get Neil on here pretty soon. I, anybody out there is saying, hey, yeah, Tim, what's the deal? Listen, listen to me. I've been... Yeah, yeah, we should get Neil on. Great idea, Brendan. Wish I'd thought of that. Well, that's why I'm here. The idea guy. Um, yeah, subscribe on uh, podcast players, Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We'll be back next week to finish off the record, and we will talk to you then. Love you guys. Thank you, friends. Bye.